And we are back. Hello, my name is Andrea Miller. I am the host of Open Relationships Transforming Together. I am joined by co-host Joanna Schroeder and Brian Atkins. We've got an amazing show teed up for you. We've got Eli Harwood coming on. But before we go there, I just want to remind you, we are here because there is a relationship crisis occurring in America and in our homes and society. And if you're saying to yourself, no, nah, not, not mine, I'm just going to challenge you for a quick sec. If you're feeling alienated from somebody in your family, if you can't talk about politics with somebody you care about, if you constantly feel like you're surrounded by idiots, then you also have part of the uh, relationship crisis going on in your life. And I just have to really call out how important it is for all of us to have healthy, thriving relationships, because that is how we thrive as human beings. And so that's why we're bringing you this show, because we are here to transform our relationships and our lives together. So let's get to it. So exciting. All right. And so we are so excited to welcome our guest, Eli Harwood, onto Open Relationships. Welcome, Eli. Yay. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's Eli Harwood. I've got just this amazing uh, fascination with you, Eli, as I've already told you. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you for being on our show. I'm going to read your super quick bio. Eli Harwood is a licensed therapist, an educator, and the creator of Attachment Nerd. She has more than 17 years of experience helping people process relational traumas and develop secure attachment relationships with their children and partners. Eli is also the author of the brand new book. Whoops, my, my picture just went away. Come on, come back to me. Here we go. Brand new book. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Securely Attached, just out yesterday and already number one on Amazon's list for marriage and long-term relationships books. <laughs> Eli has three children, one husband, two cats, an extraordinary number of plant babies, and OMG, a bazillion Instagram fans because so many people <laughs> love her. Welcome, Eli. Thank you so much. I love being yeah. here. No, thank you. Well, we've got a lot to cover, um, but I wanted to say, speaking of your huge social following, I wanted to start with how at least one way you became Insta-famous. What was a crazy, surprising parenting advice that you learned from your dog? Oh, I love that you're bringing this up because it's kind of my like Mona Lisa of social media posts. Um, when we come into a room, what does a dog do in response to us? They wiggle and waggle and slobber and they like I love you so just like they express delight to be near us and that is one of the most effective ways that we can cultivate security with our children but honestly with any of our relationships you know when my husband and I yes yes come when he when he comes into the room and we've been apart right I can't do this every single time he comes into the room but if he comes into the room and we've been apart for the day I do my best to do this. Hi. You know, I maybe don't do it yeah. quite as dramatically as I do with my two-year-old. And even with my eight-and-a-half-year-old, I do it a little less dramatically. It's like move into being like a little bit more of an old dog, like wag the tail, but don't mm -hmm. necessarily like jump up and down on them, right? But there's this sense that you're my people. 
I adore you yeah. and I adore being near you. And that bonds us together. And think about what we feel. I had grandparents who did this for me. Uh, Jim and Martha. Jim and Martha were amazing at this. It's like every time I got into their home, they were there waiting at the door. They were so ready to oh. see me and they just sort of did Love you, Jim and Martha. And they'd pull me in, right? And I, I always felt a sense of worth in relationship mm-hmm. to them, right? So I think never underestimating the power of greeting the people we love with a deep dog waggle of delight. A deep dog waggle of delight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to love to sit outside the preschool when my daughter was in preschool and watch the preschoolers see their parents at pickup oh. because they're, you're not getting, we had to get out of the car and you just sit there and it is like the joy that they mm-hmm. have when they see their parents. Mm-hmm. And then if the parent showed that joy back, like you could see how affirming it was. Mm-hmm. And like just recently I wrote this about teenage boys that we really, and it's probably all teenagers, but I only have teenage boys right now. We really don't do that for them. <laughs> like my son walks up from school and he's like, you know, and he's huge and he's lanky <laughs> and he's got a backpack, he's at baseball and he's got a problem. And it's like he gets in the car and I've been trying so hard and I'll be like, I'm so happy to see you. And I feel like even though he'll be like, okay, well, I got this problem. I think, (laughs) I think it's sinking in somewhere. Yes. I also joke in that video that you want to do the wiggly waggly stuff when your kids are young because you want to create a rhythm of that because when they get to adolescence, they're doing something called attachment transfer. So they're slowly starting to build attachment relationships with their peers. And so they often feel a little bit uncomfortable or weird expressing their attachment delight to us in those contexts or even in general. And so they need us to be able to still express delight, but do it in a way that's a little more muted um, because at that point in their lives, they're cats, right? And so like if you try, like I have two of them and I know this. So it's like if you walk into the room with a cat and you go... It's so yeah, yeah. see you. Like they are under the bed, period. Right? You have to sort of yes. slowly you you want them to notice that you're happy to see them, but it's more like kitty 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 kitty. Yeah, so yeah, 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 see yeah. You, right? Engaging that. Um, but I would say you're never going wrong in expressing delight with your team. You're going wrong if you're expecting them to express it back to you in that exact same way. That makes um, so much sense. And I think a lot can't. of parents of tweens and teens are going to really like that analogy of the dog and the cat. Because we do expect our older kids to be like they were when they were eight. It's like, no, no, no. He's in no. cat phase. No. So he'll look across the room. Yes. If you get a little bit of a tail movement from that's the cat, you're great. like, that cat loves me. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. Though and Andrea more... has a cat who will come sit on her lap named Cupcake. Who oh, is, yeah. Uh, Cupcake exceptional. is uh, the low-key uh, <laughs> podcast OG. I love so, it. Yeah, she could very I well come in. I love it. I love it. Actually, there's, prob- there's probably teenagers like that, too. There's probably teenagers yes. that run up and hug yes. you. but That's most... right. They're probably very extroverted, right? They're yeah. probably And they're probably teenagers that aren't dealing with a lot of complexity emotionally mm. in, in those moments. They just... That's kind of how they're wired. They're wired to be like, is it eight love grand? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Like, that's so great. <laughs> but not every teenager has that privilege. And so yeah. we really do, we really want to be accepting of the complex emotional state that our teens are living in so that we can remain in sync with them, right? So mm. I'm not in sync with the cat if I'm slobbering and jumping on them. I'm, on, I'm in sync with the cat if I am deeply secure in myself and I'm sitting on the couch 
with confidence that I have a great laugh to sit on. And I'm yes. also accepting if it's just not a laugh moment for them. That's how you create that synchronicity with an adolescent. And then it makes it a lot easier when they become adults and they're through that stage for them to reciprocate and come back into that space with you. Because now they don't have all this weird, guilty juju that you sent out to them during that time of learning how to be separate from you. Yeah, we we talk a lot about uh, meeting people where they are, right? And when I mm-hmm. think about if we can meet our teens, particularly when, gosh, they're going through hormones and prickly and all those things. Yeah. I just, I feel like it's this profound reminder of it's not yes. about us. It really is about yes. them. So if we yes. can give that hug and, hi, I'm so glad to see you sincerely, and that's enough without expecting more mm-hmm. back. I mean, I'll say this. I've got a, a uh, 11-year-old. You met him. Um, yes, Eli just so before, cute. And a 13-year-old. You know, and at times, I like I've made those foolish mistakes of whether it's um, really being affectionate and not having it uh, returned or, geez, I've planned something really special and they um, they don't appreciate it that that just that mm-hmm. foolishness where my I got invested in an expectation of what it was going to do for me, and mm. it's just like, oh, Andrea, don't do that! <laughs> like, don't be a dummy. So I just I love the oh. reminder of just you know just love on them and let them go, mm-hmm. right? Um. Also, one of the weird things about having a therapist on your podcast is I can't help but respond yeah. to how hard you are on yourself for that because. Oh. Oh, here we go, people. Let's get into it. (laughs) Don't be a dummy. I'm like, don't be foolish. Oh, but but to long for connection with our children is the wisest, most lovely thing in the world. And to be disappointed when it's not right for them is so human and good. The key is that we don't punish them for disappointing us, that we go to our other people. We go to our partners and our sweethearts and and our friends and we say, you didn't want to go with me today. Broncos game. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Like he wanted to go instead to like Tara's house. Who's even Tara? I can't believe this change is happening. You know, like that we we take that tenderness and we put it where it belongs, which is not with our children, but that we honor ourselves in our yeah. sorrow that being a parent is a very strange job. We go from being a CEO with zero experience, right? The minute your child is born, you are president and CEO, no matter you know anything or not. But the more you love you give your children, the more security you give your children, the more securely they're able to leave you. That is, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. But what, let me ask you this. You, you are brilliant on Instagram and just how you, how you communicate it. Your, your communication style is so simple and, and heartfelt. That's why you have a bazillion fans and people are so obsessed with you along with us. Why do you feel like, because attachment theory has been around for a very, very, very long time. Why do you <laughs> feel like, you know, and yet we're in a, a, like a national relationship crisis. There's a loneliness epidemic. There's a mental health yes. crisis, an opioid epidemic and, and on and on. So why <laughs> is it when I feel like you make it so easy and obvious, why do you think <laughs> it is that still so many people have have this so much trauma in their lives why why haven't more of us figured this out well i'm gonna lay out like seven theories and then everybody can vote because i don't know okay exactly but here's (laughs) sure i have multiple theories so (laughs) so what i one of them is that 
generational trauma is incredibly hard to identify and to heal. When, let's say, grandma and grandpa, they let's say they get wrecked by World War II. They're in Poland. And they have immense disturbing experiences and friends and family members are in concentration camps and people they know that okay so you have this massive corporate cultural relational trauma that's experienced Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. they may not cope with that in a secure way they may not have had secure ways of coping from their parents or they may just be so traumatized they can't cope in a secure way so they may cope through avoidance which means mm. that the way they relate to their children is by not talking about the hard stuff, not moving inwards and towards other people when things are sad or hard. You're fine. You're fine. There's no crying on the yacht. Everything's okay here. Move on. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the, the children in that next generation don't really know why their emotions are being dismissed and why it feels so disconnected and they aren't getting that like sugary, gooey experience of I belong, I'm heard, I am seen, I matter. Mm-hmm. My tenderness is an avenue to connection. They're not getting all that. And then they have this. Now, their kids are even more lost in the woods about what that pattern is. And then their kids. So there is so much generational trauma in America specifically. I mean, like we can go all the way back to how, you know, colonialism started and how it works and what happened to native people and then we have enslavement and what all of that meant mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. a civil war and you know so we have mm-hmm. we just happen to have within our country story a lot of really fucked up stuff and mm. then mm-hmm. it doesn't get translated in those ways of relating directly so you may not know that your great 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 grandfather you know was in the house when their, you know, wife was shot by a Confederate soldier. I don't know, I'm making all this up. Right. But like, yeah, yeah. you may not know, you know, that your ancestors were brought over on a slave ship. You may have an idea, right. but you don't know. What you have, though, is a lot of insecure energy in your body. And so I think what gets confusing is that people look at, at their parents or at their attachment relationships and they're like, I don't, I mean, I don't know, nothing was bad. And they don't realize that they're actually relating as a result of some really bad things. And they just don't know. So that's one theory. Um, Can I ask you just a quick question to interrupt? Yeah, absolutely. The number one question I had was, and I think it really makes sense here. Are there any humans who (laughs) become adults securely attached? Like, does that exist? Mm -hmm. And and it sounds like I'm making a point. I'm not. I'm literally asking because I've never heard of it. Yeah. So, well, the statistics are about 50%. And I I don't know. I mean, I will say that the thing with all research is, is that it's flawed. So, like, is that, you know, exactly accurate? I don't know. But I do uh, have a really good friend who made it to adulthood securely. I have a group of five girlfriends and one out of the five of us is secure. So some Amazing. part of me thinks maybe that's a more accurate portrayal. I don't know. But we, you know, we all watch her and we watch her relate to her kids. She had kids before all of us, thank God. And we'd watch her and we'd go, oh, oh, oh you that's just, how that you goes, huh? empathy. This is so crazy. Like they're sad and you don't like tell them why they'd 
you know, made a mistake, you just like comfort them and then help them learn something. What? Um, ah. So it exists. It's it's yeah, not okay. non-existent. My goal, one of my goals. So I want to lay on my deathbed, and my ch- I want all my children around me going, "Ma, it's okay. <laughs> you can die. Go ahead." Um, and then I want someone to tell me that we've changed the statistics. I want there to be like a 70-30 or an 80-20. Oh, like, I love that. I, because Let's because the it. information. That's, that's... Yes. Amen. It just hasn't been out there in a tangible way. It's been lost in academia. It's been lost in colonial traumas. It's been lost in behaviorism. You know, B.F. Skinner in his behaviorist book in the 1900s told mothers, do not kiss your children. When they wake up in the morning, shake their hand. That was his <laughs> advice. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna take oh. out my kids and watch their weird their expressions on their face. That's gonna be hilarious. I'll Good tell day you, my to middle you, sir. Son, yeah, my middle son would love that because he's the one that does not want to be touched so much. So if I was like, "Hello, sir, let's shake hands," he'd be like, "This is great. Let's keep I going." I he's like with Mark. <laughs> oh, he would institutionalize me if I did that. That's adorable. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so okay, I mean, we're on. dealing so, with some antiquated ideas, an- ancestral traumas, and inaccessible research. Like the research, and that's part of why I created Attachment Nerd. I was like, this information is so important, and it's actually very clear, but it's lost in the land of academic words and studies oh. that the average person cannot access. Ooh. Yeah. Well, totally. Well, and we... just a big, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Brian to give us some uh, sound effects here, a big um, applaud, because when I think about um, just even calling it attachment nerd and how you have simplified the concepts and how you communicate them, it just, it's like you can, it, it makes a ton of sense why you've got this rabid fan following. Because in oh, fact, you're what so I, sweet. You know, in addition, Thank you. Oh, Okay, there we go. We got it. Um, no, but I love I love how you 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 break that academic research down in a way that is um, is is practical, is actionable, is skill based, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to come yes. back to this because I do want to. You know, the show is as you know, we really do try to make those actionable takeaways. Um, but I, it's just interesting to hear you um, conjecture around. You know. The, this chasm, you know, why the, the, this, this thing? Because there's so much hurt and heartache that so yes. many people have maintained, and it's almost like we feel like it's our it's our dharma or something like it's the, just the, there's nothing we can do about it. Yet, you know, it's like we're taking Prozac. You know, a lot of people are yes. going, you know, to therapy and so forth, and yet it still just feels like there is a um, kind of a feeling of hopelessness at a times, gap. right? Well, you know, yeah. what's interesting as a therapist is that most therapists recognize, okay, I'm working with someone, they're struggling, I probably need to get to the root of how they developed, right? Like what yeah. happened when they were little? Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. the environment relationally? Um, but yeah. the average person wants to believe that that doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. I believe that's because it does matter and it so yeah. when we go through hurtful things in childhood that we don't know how to process, even if that hurt is covert, even if it's just a parent who doesn't look us in the eye when we're crying, right? Mm-hmm. Covert can be painful and hurtful. We tell ourselves a story to get through that experience. And the story that the average person tell themselves about an insecure attachment experience with their parents is it wasn't that bad. 
And what happens in therapy, what I hope will happen for people as they open up my book is two things. One, permission to acknowledge it actually did really hard. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. And I think people say it's not that bad because they're afraid if it was that bad, it's irreparable. Or it means something about me. Or I'm damaged. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to drown in this. And the truth is, yeah, it was really sad that your caregivers were not able to be empathetic with your tenderness. That that actually is legit sad. And when you're a little poison and you're scared in the middle of the night and your caregiver comes in and they're like, stop being a wuss. It hurts. And your body panics. And you're like, I'm alone in the dark. And from an evolutionary perspective, I think this is bad, right? Like you feel all those feelings and it hurts. And when you're processing it as an adult, you have an adult perspective that you can look back at and go, oh, poor little Eli. That actually never happened to me. That was a made up scenario, but other things happened (laughs) to me. Um, But, you know, you can have that compassion and grieve. And then what happens is that painful energy that's been kind of stuck in your nervous system releases because now it's a part of the past it's not something I have to keep avoiding and keep ignoring right and keep yeah keep kind of protecting and Uh and so you know it's like the the uh, cliche the truth will set you free and I feel like there's truth in that just to say okay I I am going I'm going to look at this thing I'm going to feel it and I'm going to let it pass through me or I'm, you know, however that mm-hmm. that transition mm-hmm. occurs. But it does. Mm-hmm. I feel like it. you're right. It takes a lot of courage. And it, again, mm-hmm. your work is so helpful to give people the tools. Um, I'm about halfway through your book. I'm like, nah, I don't want to <gasps> think about those things. But then you exactly to your point. Like I've had all these, you know, memories bubbling up and mm. and it's like, great, let me let me do this work. Because mm. that is the the great gift I can give to myself, my you know my kids, my husband, the, the the people that I love. But let's go back. You you just opened the door a little teeny like um, quarter of an inch. I'm going to kick it open. What what led you to this work? Because I gotta believe there's you know some you know it's like there was something yes. going on in your life that caused you to go, holy crap, <laughs> I got a yes. calling. I got to fix this. So what happened to you? Oh, I just love sharing my story because it really highlights. Um, the healing power that comes when parents acknowledge that something's wrong. Um, And that was my mom. So uh, my family tree, if we were to like decorate my family tree, the ornaments on my family tree are primarily mental illness, addiction, abuse, and childhood sexual trauma. I mean, it is a very well-decorated tree. We were almost raised in the same forest. (laughs) (laughs) Our our trees, I think our trees are like right there. Okay, keep going. Yeah, they're both Douglas firs or something. Anyway. Douglas um, firs, very decorated. (laughs) Yes. So when I was little, uh, my my dad was drinking his traumas away, and my mom Mm. was spiraling in some really Mm -hmm. deep, untreated mental illness. Um, So from zero to about eight, my childhood was deeply disturbing and scary. There was lots of chaos, lots of uncertainty. Um, Volatility is the word I would use. I have lots of memories of like my mom being so depressed she couldn't get out of bed and me like trying to like help my little brother because I knew it was a bad day for mom and all that. So but when my mom, when I was nine years old, she 
was on the brink and she was deciding between ending her life and getting help. Oh. And thank Judas, whoever we thank, not thank Judas, thank, thank everybody, thank all the yeah. deities. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. made the choice to get help and she checked herself into a psychiatric hospital. And that was the big U-turn in my life wow. because she got access to information about what was going on with her. She got diagnoses. She got medication, which was necessary for her at that point in her healing process. Mm -hmm. And she began to explore her traumas. And as she did that, she began to make what was unmanageable mentionable. And as she began to mention mm. it, it began to be manageable. That's a quote from Mr. Rogers. What is mentionable Mr. is Mr. Rogers, yeah. Love that guy. Um, uh -huh. so, she, so, you know, she was at the brink of total desperation and she did the most courageous thing of all, which was asking. Wow. And by asking for help, yeah. she set a trajectory in my life of also having the ability to get help from other people. Um, mm -hmm. so it was a really natural slide into being a therapist, um, of, you know, I had been doing it since I was little <laughs> in my family mm -hmm. system. Right. Um, but I also had been going to therapy. So I'd had the experience of how helpful it was to grieve and to acknowledge and to process all that stuff. And I had a parent who had the capacity to say, yeah, you're right. Things were really rough. You aren't making that how, up. Let me, let me ask. I mean. As she as she recovered, did she mm -hmm. apologize? Did she make the repairs? Because mm -hmm. when I think about little mm -hmm. Eli taking, you know, little Eli yeah. having to be the parent um, to her mm -hmm. younger sibling, to her mom, to her dad, and yep. probably not really being seen or or taken care of, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so yes. it's like you know, one thing stacked on top of another. Um, did she have that that self awareness or courage to say at any point how sorry she was yes. to you? Oh, yes, God bless but her. I also want everyone on earth to know that's extremely rare <laughs> because yeah. it I, it takes so much inner strength to hear your child say that was really awful and I didn't feel okay when as a mother or as her, a parent. you told her that? Mm -hmm. Good for you. Yeah. And that, I mean, we, that takes, she'll tell you. She'll tell you so though. so much courage. Well, it did take courage. Yeah. And she'll say though, <laughs> she'll say that was the hardest thing she's ever had to do as a parent is to really take account of all of the things that I needed her to process and grieve with me in order for, sure. for me to stay close with her. Like I, I, I would have healed even if she hadn't done that. I really believe that. Right. But right. I would be telling you a different story now. The story would be like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, you know, my mom and I don't have a lot of time together. Um, but yeah. instead, she's actually a therapist also. We share an office. It's so oh crazy. God. That yes. is so like cool. she's. And she, she is such a perfect example of someone who whose gross process is, okay, something's not right. Let me just keep learning. How can I learn oh more? I'm going to go back to therapy again. Story. I'm going to go. It's amazing. She's amazing. Um, Did you yeah, see no, that TikTok where the mom was brushing her hair? It's like a famous TikTok family uh, where the parents are very goofy. Uh, and the mom is brushing her hair and she's making this face. And the uh, mom is probably about 65 or 70. And her daughter says, what's wrong, mom? And she goes, oh, it's a, so, it just hurts. And the little girl, and the lady, who's probably 30, uh -huh. is like, um, you mean like when I was little and you would brush my hair and tell me to stop crying? And you see the mom, it's happening live. Mm, that's the you sad. see the mom go, 
I'm really sorry I did that. That that was terrible. And even your grandma was... said I should be easier on you. And the, the, the lady's like, yeah, it was so hard. It hurt so bad. And you would tell me to stop crying. And listening to this dialogue, yeah. I was blown away yeah. because it was such a, it wasn't scripted because it was awkward. And you yes. kind of really kind of brought yeah. that tension up into my yeah. neck. And yeah. yet she was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't oh. have done that. And oh, God myself and like 700 people in the comments yeah. are like, this is incredible. Hmm. What I wouldn't give to hear a parent I just, say I mean, they're sorry. You've got tears to my eyes, even though I've experienced it. But I think like I'm also holding how many thousands of people I'm, <laughs> I've loved and known in therapy over the years. And they're not having had that experience yeah. and how painful it is to say, you know, I think the typical parent feels so much shame when they're yes. faced with their mistakes that instead of moving through that shame and swallowing it and going, I'm so sorry and entering humility, they take the shame and they reverse it and they turn it into contempt. You're, yeah. What did you want me to do? I was making sure that you had brushed hair so the other kids in school wouldn't think you were weird. Like, what's wrong with yeah. you that you're yep. complaining about And I did the best I me? could. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That defense. Yeah, that self-protection. Exactly. That, that, but that to me is the great, not great, the, the perverse fucking horrible irony we, mm -hmm. we imprison ourselves, right? And I'm guilty yes. of that. If anything, oh my mm -hmm. God, I call my kids, as uh, Brian and Joanna will attest, I call my kids my little Buddhas. Oh my God, they bring me to my knees, <laughs> you know? Yes. But that is, yes. so mm -hmm. I just, I love that story. A big shout out to your mama. Good job mm -hmm. um, getting mm -hmm. that help. And then, like you said, just, and for you too, it's, it's scary to mm -hmm. face, especially that, you know, that, that, parent-child <laughs> relationship, I feel like that is one of the most important things any of us can do with the people we love, <laughs> whether it's marriage or, you know, parent-child yes. friendship, to have those hard conversations because otherwise <laughs> we're all behind the walls. Somebody has to go first. Right? You know, nobody here's wants the key, to go though. first. It's so fucking scary. <laughs> yes, and, and there are a bunch of different ways to enter that content into the room. And so when we bring a vulnerable, tender story that is is sitting in our bodies, whether that story is about somebody that we need to share it with them or it's not about them at all, we have to take pause and ensure that we are actually bringing that vulnerability to them um, because you were a terrible parent when I was little. Oh, It's not vulnerable. Right. It is not courageous. Yeah. It is contemptuous. Mm -hmm. It is defensive. And there is nowhere for that parent to go but to defend themselves or yeah. to totally and completely collapse on themselves so instead yes. there has to be an invitation so anytime you have a tender piece of something Ooh, that you're bringing yes. to somebody it there needs to be an invitation so when i was asking my mom to hold all of that i said to her i just need to like say some of the things i remember and tell you what it felt like and i need you to tell me if i made that up or if that was real and um just be sad Right. And mm -hmm. I told her a couple of memories that she literally, oh, she'd be like that. Huh? Do you remember that? Like she had hoped, I think she had hoped in her, all of her heart that I was too young to remember. And I had remembered. Um, mm. But I didn't come at her like, here's all the reasons why my suffering is your fault. Yeah. I was asking her to grieve with me. There was a place for her to join me. And that was still very hard, but there was an avenue. And so I think, you know, when we, oh, 
I, I'm not sure I did this as well with my dad, to be honest. He's a bit of a harder figure for me. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about and, him. So thanks for making my job easier. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, he's never fully recovered from alcoholism. He's sure. had little, little, little splatterings of sobriety, but mostly not. Um, wow. And, you know, he was a long-term cocaine user. So I think there's actually some oh, like brain stuff that's probably never sure. going to change. Um He's wired differently than me. We vote differently. We, you know, we're different oh. genders. There's all sorts of stuff there that I think makes it harder mm -hmm. for us to do that. So I, for a lot of time, I think when I would bring it to him, I brought it to him more defensively because I didn't feel Maybe as much security. So there was a little bit more, I, I guess he also never changed. So that's what's complicated. My mom made changes. So I could come to her and say, can we process the way you were? Can we process right. what happened? Whereas with my dad, it was like, can we process the way you are? And yeah, he wasn't harder. ready to do that. So we've we've had our own kind of thing. With him, at some point, I was really like set on this very particular thing, which was I need you to understand that even though I always looked like I was okay, it wasn't that I was okay. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he that was really hard for him. He'd be like, No, you came out of you came out of the womb like that. You just oh. have always known who you are. And oh, I that, he had to had tell to like, himself that, right? He had to tell himself that. It's how mm. he comforted himself. And so I said, yeah. this is just something that happened. It's not anybody's fault, but I do need you to understand that. And I, and I remember that I did get to that invitational place where I cried. And eventually he sort of mm. acquiesced. And he's never said that to me again. So, so from that point of that conversation, he's never said, well, you've always known who you are, yeah. um, which he said for a long time. But I've also accepted that there are a lot of things he's never going to be able to accept because of his own um, stagnance. He doesn't want but isn't to that change. addiction? I mean, when you think addiction, yes. I mean, it's like yes. there's so much that's so, I don't want to be judgmental, but I feel like the word warped is appropriate. It's like, because when mm -hmm. you're, I feel like when you're an addict and I've, I'm an mm -hmm. addict, I, I'm a workaholic. I mean, and mm -hmm. trying to be better, it wasn't safe for me to be yes. any other kind of a holic. So workaholic, you mm -hmm. know, you get praised for working hard. That was safe. So I can put, I can say I'm in recovery as, as an addict. And I, I know that craziness and I've seen mm -hmm. it because I, I've lived it, but I, I, you know, I feel like it is that warped thinking how they, yes. how addicts, how we do that to ourselves. And that's what prevents connection. And it really, it takes mm -hmm. a lot of fucking work to yes. say, okay, I'm well, actually willing to hear, yes. to open up so to somebody what's else's interesting, story. So what's interesting is my brother carried on the addiction tradition until mm. um, three months ago. And oh. he's been sober for three months. And Oh, congratulations. What's his name? It's Scott. He's Scott. just Woo. like. Keep going, brother. I love Keep. it. I love it. Um, he, the warped thinking when he's in his addiction is so intense that like, it really almost like, you know, when you put the opposite magnets together, right. And like you move towards yeah. someone or they move towards you and it like creates more yeah. of a repel. Like that's what it yeah. felt like him, with him for so many years. And I tell him every day now, I'm like, it's so easy to talk to you when you're so, mm. it's so oh, easy. Yes. And I, it's actually honestly almost shocking. Like, wow. Like, and I can be a peer with you, right? And mm -hmm. we can like co-support each other. And it's literally just mm -hmm. because you've stopped drinking. It's yeah. really mm -hmm. amazing. It's um, a game I, changer. And I, as you said it, I had this exhale. I was like, 
because I've had that sense of relief where you go, oh, I'm. it's safe for me to talk to this person. That's and then a... with a sibling, not a lot of people know exactly what it was like in your house. Yeah. So yep. then to be able to talk to that person and yeah. feel safe is really, really affirming. Yeah. I got to call, actually, this is such present day. So, you know, I've got a million followers across my social media. I have a published book that's like, I'm hoping will be like a New York Times bestseller. It's getting there. It's getting close. And I am like doing this work. I believe in so deeply. And my dad doesn't say anything to me. He doesn't follow me. Mm. He doesn't ask me about it. And and there's lots to that, I'm sure. Shame. Also, he gets overwhelmed by big words and stuff. That's not his jam, whatever. But okay. I was able to say to my brother, can I just say something out loud? Is it weird? Like if your kid had the kind of like, impact on the world that I'm having like Super what would you success do and impact yeah and yep. meaningful you know it's not like I'm selling yeah. shoes like oh, anyway and yeah. and my brother yeah. my brother put his arm around me he called me Lizzie because my full name is Elizabeth and he's like Lizzie uh-huh. I'm sorry he's like that's so weird mm-hmm. and I yeah. just thought oh that was so nice to be validated by him that like huh it's strange that my parent is not celebrating me like if my kids yeah. do anything I like pull out the pom pops yeah like Eli, you I live that. That's you me do. too. And yeah. so it's affirming for me to hear that I'm not the only one who has yeah, that not- because I remember my first promotion when I was like 23 and I became assistant manager of a store and the owner of the store goes, are your parents so proud? And I was oh. like, no, like, of course not. It was so strange to even have somebody ask me that. And, and even to this sure. day, I have a book contract. Oh right? my gosh. With a major publisher. I have we do this yeah. podcast. Your tango is so successful. I've been here eight years. All the things I've done, New York Times, whatever. And and it it's hard for me to even say them out loud because like you're saying, without anyone's without that particular person, not anybody, because Andrea tells me she's proud of me. But like <laughs> without that I particular so person. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Aaron. I mean, Aaron and Andrea, All of you. you know, <laughs> I'm <laughs> proud of everybody. I don't even know an Aaron. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I have, that's, but that's how emotional it makes me. My brain just short circuited, but like mm. I am right now in my own therapy dealing with, um, will this person in my life ever say they're proud of me? Probably oh, not. Man. And certainly not for work things. And I kept thinking like, yeah, like you, how, how do you not? Like, I have to stop myself from saying I'm proud of my kids for Too every much. single thing. I'll be like, <laughs> my son got on an airplane. He's 18. He got on an airplane and he flew from Seattle to here. And I'm like, dude, I am so proud of you. And then I'm like, don't say that. Like, <laughs> he knows how to get on an airplane and fly to Burbank. Like, here, he's okay, right? I but know. it's the opposite. We're doing the opposite. <laughs> so, ugh, man, I can't tell you. It made me feel so much less alone. I'm to hear so that glad. you've had that too. And look, we're both okay. Yeah. We're okay. Well, and I'm actually very proud of myself. So it's like, I don't even yeah. need that from him. It's more about how it affects my relationship to him now. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, it, it, it cultivates an awkwardness. Like, we'll see. I'll see him at Thanksgiving tomorrow. He wants to be there. He loves my kids. He thinks they're adorable. He'll be very excited to see them. You know, he'll give me a nice big hug. But inside of my body, there will be this sense of being not known. Okay, okay. I yes. gotta, I gotta just chime in here because part of me and like, but I feel like that's back to and think of 
think of what he can't give to himself, right? And when I yes. think about it, I'm not trying to be an apologist, but I'm, you know, uh, just mm-hmm. when I no, 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 I, no. I love this. this. And we are, we are, like I said, we are trees in the same forest, right? The same very yes. challenging, you know, you know, love and so forth. But but ultimately, the result is a a lot of hurt yes. and heartache that we've carried on. Yeah. And so when I think about like one of my favorite Mary Williamson phrases is you can't give what you don't have. And I mm, think about preach. how I grew up and it's like he, it feels like he doesn't have it. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do, Eli. And we're now we're oh. Colorado soul sisters. So I'm going to follow up and, and see how it goes. I'm wondering if you meet him where he is, just hug on him and love on him and you know maybe say like oh my gosh dad i got it i'm so excited i want to i want to i've got you a copy of my book it's amazing i've been hearing and and back to the thing we started with in this conversation you know we were saying we want to give our kids the grace no expectations i would love to know and i've had to do this honestly with my own parents so in part it's Mm -hmm. it's like right on my chest it's like, can you meet him where he is, share this thing mm-hmm. that you're excited about, you know, hey, dad, how's mm-hmm. it going? And come sit with the kid or, you know, whatever it is. And and then be told, free yourself from that attachment of uh, or that expectation, because I have found when I shift my energy like that, how mm-hmm. I show up is different. And if I can sincerely well, not expect it. you're anything, right. it's, it's grieving, like that's but when it's, it comes. It's, it's, it's grief. It's like the ninja though. It's like, can I be, can I, so, I, okay, when I was very dramatically doing this attachment work in my 20s, I wrote a eulogy for the oh. dad I wished I had had mm. who, I, who could mm-hmm. guide me because I longed yeah. for a father who had some wisdom to give me in life. And that wasn't yeah. who my dad was. And he um, didn't have it. He but now it I'm give, thinking, baby. yep. And, and, but he is warm and he does love me. So there's this complexity around this issue that you're highlighting, which is I haven't fully grieved that he can give me hugs. He can love my children. He can say, I love you. There's some great things about him. He can't celebrate my life successes. Okay. I I mean, I've got to believe the poor man is, (laughs) he knows how he fucked up. Right. And he, you know, again, your war. And he's not ready to face it. He's not ready to face it. He knows right. it, but he doesn't, right? He knows it and he doesn't. Okay, so you want to know Stranger Than Fiction? This is a Stranger Tell Than me. Fiction. My Tell dad's me. name is Carrie Failure. Oh. I'm not joking. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, that it, is it's like, actually, that's like a, holy, it, that's it's incredible. C-R-R-Y? Okay, so, no, C-A-R-Y and then F-A-I-L-Y-E-R. Oh, okay. But it, but it, um. He's no longer failure. He's feller because when I was in kindergarten, so my oh. name was failure when I was born. And when I was in kindergarten, oh my mom my was like, eh-eh, we're not doing this. Like, our kids are not going to live on with this legacy. And my dad, oh my interestingly God. enough, he had sort of some denial about all of that in part because he was mm-hmm. Mr. Popular. He was head boy, you know, captain of the football team. Mm-hmm. He's very good looking. He has sort of this like thing. Um, but meanwhile, I've never met someone with as much, you know, uh, self-contempt around feeling like he never made himself into something so now as we're talking about this i'm like oh and then you have a daughter who makes herself into something and you're not going to address it because then you have to contend with your own shame and your own grief yeah so this is hidden it's hidden baby but and it's like in a way in a way when i just i think about um how how painful and how like packed 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 away it is so my (laughs) you know my my hope for you my hope for myself and you know Joanna, Brian, all of us, to it's just to ooh have that little extra bit of courage and tenderness mm. 
for, you know, it's Definitely. like, if I feel like when I'm feeling that courage and tenderness in myself, being able to meet some of these people that I adore, but that have really Definitely. disappointed me, like uh -huh. it feel, that feels like a game changer, right? That feels yep. like yeah. parenting ourselves, well, and like wisdom channeling. And finding yeah. those little invitations. So I'm just sitting here going, if I grieve yeah. it enough, can I then say something to him like, hey, it would mean a lot to me if you just on a regular basis checked my social media profiles and noticed how many people are, you know, hanging out with me. There. Right or here. it would mean a lot to me if you just let me know every once in a while that you're proud of me. Because I think he also probably doesn't think I need that. He's probably like, she's fine. Whereas exactly. my brother, who is struggling, yes. Yes. does, you know, I think he does try to encourage him. And because there's a fear that he won't be okay. And um, so anyway, you all do I owe well, you for like, therapy yeah, today? I know, I know. Nailed it because like he said, like, so he's not saying it anymore. Somehow maybe it sounds like there's been some penetration there. But you were always strong little Eli that mm, got it. He's like, still you thinking were self -contained. it. self-contained. That somewhere mm -hmm. in his being, it's like That's you don't it. need that. And I love it that for you to, to, you know, what I would just love is for you to sit down and be like, oh, my God, Dad, like, check this out. I got to show this to you or I got to show you the That's reaction it. people have had. You know, because I also That's think, it. I don't know, I mean, I was with my parents recently and I was showing them some things on Instagram that my brother, who's an actor, does. And my brother was so grateful because my parents weren't going to make it to Instagram on their own. And yes. so they were so appreciative. So when I think about yeah. your sitting down and saying, gosh, and then maybe even showing like, you know, if there are harsh comments, like, gosh, people really took this out of context, like, like right. sharing it with him. Yeah. And maybe if you feel it like yeah. just, oh, you know what, dad, I'd you're, here's the thing. If you say, dad, you know, your opinion of me is so important. I don't tell you that enough. I just, I would mm. so appreciate your, you know, your feedback. Cause it's it. like, the guy probably yeah. just feels like, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> you know, instead of reminding yeah, yeah, yeah. to be, I feel and like he feels like that everywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. totally. I, I love this. I'm if, just. Yes, I want to go to beautiful. your Thanksgiving. Can I come? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Andrea's totally. gonna go there. Just stir that pot and not the mashed potatoes. I need the mashed potatoes. Just watch Give me. The pumpkin me. pie. This yeah. is you so know, it's an interesting thing. Like a marriage therapist told my husband and I, like maybe five or six years into our marriage. Um, every family is a culture. So I think we often think yeah. um, my brother married someone who's from another country. It's so uh, easy to say that's another culture. And she said, no, no, no. Every family is a culture. And when you bring two families together, you bring two cultures together and then you have a culture culture clash, which kind of blew my mind. But um, so my family is from this Dutch reformed tradition and all these Dutch people left the Netherlands because they wanted to be very religiously conservative. So they oh. came over here to be more conservative. Interesting. Uh, so their religious freedom was to basically be like locked down a-holes. And so <laughs> the the I I didn't connect that to so many things about myself until uh, you started talking about generational traditions. Uh, These Dutch people, it, uh -huh. and now I, Dutch Americans, man, it is like, it uh, is so locked down uh, and so that's where you get that kind of avoidant thing we, we we've taught it to each other like yeah. um you know just 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 lock it down talk uh -huh. about what you're grateful for and like uh -huh. we were like the original toxic positivity people it's like oh no the sun <laughs> is shining and 
and there's a terrible thing right next door. I don't even see it because look at this beautiful sun. It's that's like a, so. That's a, but that's, that's adaptive that. too, and yeah. it's adaptive it to is. the extreme, right? So then yes. it becomes a malady. But it's like I'm sure that kind of stoicism. It was like holy crap. Yes. You're gonna either either you you lock it down or you fucking fall yes. apart. Yes. And I mean Germans yep. too. I mean that you know that's yes. the good stock that yes. I'm mostly from. And it's like yep. that yep. you know keep mm-hmm. keep that mm-hmm. poker face. And so yeah, now we you all. This is a perfect segue to talk about yeah. how attachment patterns develop because they develop in response to an environment, a relational environment yeah. with somebody. So if uh, mm-hmm. if you're growing up in a home and a caregiver has that super conservative Dutch reformed high control religion mindset and you're a crying baby, you might be left mm-hmm. to cry it out on your own in Cry order to you teach will. you, you will be taught not to reach for people in tenderness and distress because that yep. is indulgent, that is messy, that is not what we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you develop an avoidant pattern and here's what avoidance is. Avoidance is I'm gonna swallow up all of my emotional messiness so that I don't burden other people so that they will stay yeah. close to me. Because my caregivers yes, feel yes, burdened yes. by my nut messiness, but I still need them. So it's adaptive in an environment yeah. where there is no emotional responsiveness. Okay. Um, a lot of people will think that, oh, if you're avoiding, it means you're avoiding of attachment. And no, 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 no. It's your avoidant mm-hmm. in moments where there is tenderness and distress. And you're avoidant in those moments because you have been hardwired to believe that the best thing to do is to protect other people from your feelings. I can mm. totally relate to that. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, oh, and it's so, it's like, so, um, what's the word? It's like so de- dehumanizing. Yeah. Right? It like, is let dehumanizing. me swallow my own needs and emotions to make it okay for other people. It's like, it's Let's so see. antithetical to what we need as human beings. So, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. thanks for the that yep. clarification. So it's like, oh. Yeah, it's painful. Tough. Okay, so that's avoidance. Okay, yep. so now let's say you had a caregiver like my sweet mama who wanted to break generational cycles, who wanted to be warmer to her kids than her parents were to her, but who was also mm-hmm. struggling with mental illness. So would go in and out of mm-hmm. manic and depressive phases. Mm-hmm. So my experience as a child is sometimes mom can soothe me, hold me, respond mm-hmm. to me effectively. And then other times she can't. And so there is what we would call an intermittent responsiveness. And, uh-huh. you know, if you know anything about war or torture, intermittent reinforcement is what torturers oh. do. They they get yeah. people to crack and share stuff by being kind and then being mean and then being scary and then being gentle yeah. and then giving them food and then starving them because what happens in right. the human brain when there is a lack of a clear pattern, is it makes us feel hypervigilant. And that hypervigilance makes us crack at some point because it's too much yeah. to not know what you're going to do. So it's not obviously that extreme. My experience wasn't someone hurting me and then hugging me and whatever. But it was well, sometimes like, she's, sometimes she the like lights are on. Trauma? Yeah. yeah, it's small T trauma. Absolutely. Sometimes the lights were on and sometimes the lights weren't on. And yeah. I didn't ever know when when or how the lights were going to go on and off because the mechanisms that were activating her inner light switch were related to the past, not to the present. And so I could never have predicted that she would go this way or that way. So what happens when you have a caregiver who is sometimes warm and sometimes gone or sometimes harsh, whatever, intermittent, is you develop a hypervigilance for what other people are. Hypervigilance, right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as your attachment strategy 
you are constantly looking at other people at your attachment figures and going, do you love me now? Are you here for me now? Are you here for me now? Mm. And when they do respond to you, you protest. So instead (laughs) of Uh receiving the love or the responsiveness in that moment, you reject it because it is effective in keeping that person close to you. If I soothe and I let it in, well, now my guard's down and you might disappear again. But if I continue to tell you that you're not giving me what I need, you're not giving me what I need, you're not giving me what I need, then hopefully you'll stay close to me. Okay. Now, Mm -hmm. in a childhood setting, this is adaptive. Now we translate this into adulthood. And the problem is, is that we enter into relationships and there are people that may be more predictable than our caregivers were, but our nervous system doesn't know how to trust the responsiveness of a secure mm-hmm. And so we say, well, why don't you tell me I love you? And they say, I love you. And you said, well, you're only saying that because I said you, you I, I asked right, you Right, right, right. I've asked you, for what I want and now, I, now you're giving it to me and now I'm questioning it. Oh, great. I'm going to yeah. bat it away. Yeah. I'm going to, or I'm going to ask for reassurance and then you're going to reassure me and then you're going to, you know, try harder and I'm going to poke holes at it. I'm going to decide that that yeah. isn't true. This is my yes, pal coming yes, in. Yes, want them to and say hi. This oh, is my, oh, what a cutie. Oh, you got a good so cameo here. Yay. <laughs> you just did a round of applause. not watching. We can't hear you guys. We got a sweet, yeah. a sweet, well, we, a sweet boy there. Yeah, yeah. I already had a membership. Okay, great. See you, love you. Um, coming back from Urban Air with his pal where they jump Oh, yeah. This. That's a, that's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We love those. Yes, exactly. Get out all of that you know, sensory need here, yeah. especially on a, them, on a um, school break. The germ factories too, oh, though, because yes. it's all like rubbery and they breathe uh-huh. all over each other uh-huh. and like yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I actually know, currently have pink eye. You may not be able oh. to see it, but uh, yeah, oh, today's a no oh. mascara day for the pink eye. Mother anyway, is great, oh, darn it. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, why? Well, I, okay, I lost so my we... train of thought there. Oh yeah, so okay, so to adult, you don't know how to suit hypervigilance. Uh huh. Um, and we're not, these are not all the technical terms. So the technical terms, you know, for an avoidant would be anxious avoidant pattern in childhood and dismissive uh-huh. in adulthood. And this other one in childhood, we call it am- anxious ambivalent or anxious resistant. And then adulthood, we call okay. it preoccupied or anxious. So it gets very okay. confusing. The researchers took way too much liberty with like labeling everything. Um, uh-huh. But so, so the, the avoidant person, when they are tender, they are avoiding and distracting. Those are their two words, avoid and distract, avoid and distract. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. ambivalent or resistant or preoccupied anxious person, their words are reach and reject or reach oh, and protest. Okay. Mm-hmm. The secure kid, the secure kid has mm-hmm. caregivers who are predictably warm, predictably mm-hmm. responsive, predictably effective predictable at soothing their the body right state, right? Predictable, warm, mm-hmm. and yeah. So the avoidant parents are also predictable, but they're predictably cold oh. and predictably unavailable yeah, that's right. or predictably that's right. intrusive, actually. So you can develop an mm. avoidant attachment when you have a parent who is so anxious that they're intrusive. So you get upset and they freak out and they add to your dysregulation. Yeah. And so then you learn never show it on the outside because if don't I show do that. it, it's yeah, not get... really lock it down show, because they'll blow you it. don't want to have, yeah, you don't want to add yeah. to it. But yes, consistently ineffectual parents that's where avoidance come in if they're consistently okay. ineffectual and so the secure parents are consistent consistently warm and effectual relationally and so that child learns the very simple pattern of reach and receive and in adulthood mm-hmm. 
You go into the relationships you have with close people. You actively tell them what you need without at waiting for them to guess for you, which actually is making me think about this dynamic with my dad. I really do need to actively tell him that this is something I long for from you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't need to be big and demonstrative, like just little things. I just want my dad to be like, I'm so proud of my girl. Like just that's it. Like every once in a while, put a little smattering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But so that would be a secure like what I'm doing with him currently is an avoidant pattern. Mm-hmm. I am engaging in an avoidant pattern with him where I am trying to mm-hmm. avoid and distract well, instead and this of this is how you break the patterns. I mean, so yeah. Eli, like props to you. I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's relatable to me, obviously you, Joanna. And when I think about um, just, it's like back to like, somebody's got to go first. And I love yeah. this, you know, this actively tell them what they, what, what we need, what need or what we want. Like that's kind of the wise this just is. thing that we should all be doing. Like you said, rather mm-hmm. than they should, you know, the expectation I've, I'm totally guilty of this. Well, my husband, Sanjay, he should know, right? The mm-hmm. warp thinking in my head is, well, he yes. should know that, you know, I want uh-huh. him to ask me about so-and-so. And then I get mm-hmm. in that, that's, you know, I spin that story in Viral. my head and spin it and spin it, you know, and now he walks in the room and I'm not only am I not, you know, greeting him like a dog, <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. like not even looking cold, at him because cold I'm blustery I'm, winds, cold, yes. cold, blustery winds. <laughs> and the truth is, it's just back to, I feel like it's back to, um, how how we have to reparent ourselves and, mm-hmm. and grieving in that there's just yes. this, yeah like had grieving aim I mean totally grieving right just yes. feel that feeling of not you know not feeling good enough not feeling valid you know like the neglect mm-hmm. the, whatever the you know hurt whatever mm-hmm. the forms it came from and then just saying okay well this is what I what I want let me ask you know yes. and like have that courage yes. to ask for because I feel like it does so, take courage because they may not do it you know they may say it. no right. Mm-hmm. And but that's a don't huge ask, rejection. Yeah. And that yeah. brings more sorrow and more grief. But you know, once we start getting comfortable with grief, we recognize that it's incredibly healing. Like when we let ourselves just be sad about the thing we don't have control over, it moves through our body and out our body and we actually get a renewed sense of energy. Totally. It's like, okay. You know, I think the the piece about having to ask, I when I'm working with clients, I will say when you were little, it would have been right and good and beautiful and lovely if there had been a grown-up in your world attuned enough yeah. to recognize your feeling states and help read your mind while you learned to read your own mind. That would have been the yeah, right yeah. order of operations. But you didn't have that. So you learned to read other people's minds. And now mm-hmm. you have this backwards longing for adults to read your mind. But that is something that should have happened in childhood, not in adulthood. And so we need to go back and grieve for that little you that the mm-hmm. thing you long to have happen didn't. It was something that right. should have happened with a parent or a caregiver, and it didn't. And now the freedom that you have in developing a secure relationship is not in waiting for your needs to be valid because someone else noticed. It's entrusting right. your body and the validity of your needs and directly bringing it to the sage response of people in your world and then letting their love deepen your story and your nervous system sense of security in the world let it in you mm-hmm, are loved mm-hmm. now you are safe now there are people who can give you what you need because now what you need is different than what you needed when you were two and three and four and twelve and whatever so let yourself reach and let yourself receive can i ask you a question about this since we're talking about the similar family dynamic with someone not being able to say they're proud 
I feel like you and I are the same in that we can take up a lot of space in a room. We've got a lot to say. We invite people in. There's energy. Um, So I wonder, did your dad happen to be more reserved and uncomfortable with that energy? Because that was the dynamic in my family was it was like, I was like, hello world. And they were all like, sit down. And I've often wondered, like, is the reason that I'm not hearing that they're proud of me or excited for me? Is that because they're just like, look at her being too big again. They just can't relate to you and your desire to do it's that. It's just so different. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> so my dad is a charmer. He okay. Is, he is definitely more um, going to be the more of the life of the party. You know, <laughs> if, 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 if for some reason, you know, his friends were to hear this podcast somewhere, you know, they would know who he was and they would be like, oh, I love that guy. Oh, I love yeah, that guy. Yeah. He's yes. such a nice guy, such a fun guy. Um, but I, so I think, I think it's far more about. So in both cases, it's shame getting activated. So in your family, it's the yes. do not take up space. The most humble yeah. thing to do is not to take up space. It's to, you know, be making twelve casseroles for everybody who's been at the hospital this week in yes. your church community. Right. Yes. Um, and be humble. And his, stay, yeah. Stay humble. Mm-hmm. Stay quiet. Stay, so so stay you. Small. Yeah, you have a self that 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 stayed intact, separate from the edict to shut it down. And so there's this kind of shame that's getting activated about themselves because they shut down some of that in their own life, right? Yeah. And so now, yes. now you're doing it and that's it's your projection of, of them right? and that's shameful. And I think that on my dad's side of thing, it's just a different story that's activating shame. Yes. I think the shame is that I'm a, you know, in his brain, it's I'm a failure, right? Like I'm, yeah. I haven't succeeded. I haven't done the things that I thought I should have done. Yeah. You know, I, my wife, let, my parents got divorced when I was 17, so I, I couldn't keep a family intact, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But so it's it's different narratives, yeah. but the same. I think it is just a shame. When we are in the presence of people that are living with more freedom than we are living with, we have to choose between shame, contempt, and grief. So we can either decide that that person's shininess is reflecting that I'm a dull person or we can decide that yeah. person's shininess is because they are way too bright and offensive or we can stop and pause and go wow that person's shininess is reminding me of a shininess inside of me that I have not allowed to be free and alive and then to feel sad about that in the purpose of moving towards opening up that inner glitter and letting it out and not what? living in fear Will you say again what the three reactions are? I just want mm-hmm. this to really hit us home because, wow. <laughs> Shame. I am dull. Contempt. You are offensively bright. Or grief. <laughs> I have not accessed oh. the inner brightness that I want to in my own life. Yeah. Yeah. And Can grief I always ask, leads to hope. That. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask is if if there's a fourth one. I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, when I got introduced to your work, I didn't, you know, or, you know, it's like when I think about, you know, our responses to other people, isn't there a fourth one that says, gosh, we um, inspiration, admire, you know, like admiration, inspiration and say, yes. oh, my God, that's amazing. I think that's true. I, I But I also think that. If, if we don't, if we have, I was saying, if we are encountering someone that is more free than we are. Mm-hmm. So I, I, see, think I see, I see, I see you encounter my work at a level of freedom that you're not threatened by it. 
and that you yeah. already are doing. You know, you've already done this. Mm-hmm. I was telling my husband this morning about what you all have done, and it's just amazing. So I think to be in the presence of light when you are comfortable with your own light is to feel warmer and brighter, right? Like, oh, yeah. this is so good to feel joined. Oh, yeah. Connected, no, we, we talk a lot about wanting to shine our brightest here. And I, you know, what what you were talking about, Joanna, I can so relate to making myself small and like this. not wanting, you know, like not wanting to ruffle feathers, not wanting to, you know, <laughs> it's like, let me be the good girl. Um and yep. and all that that goes along with it that is it I mean that's also dehumanizing you know and, yes. and not yeah. you know I feel like to shine our brightest doesn't mean that we go out there and, and we're we have to be um obnoxious like to me no, there no, is no, that, no, no, no. that sweet spot that says how can we be fully ourselves I in fact we yes. um, we had Marion Williamson on our show early on mm. and you know how she talks about how when we shine our brightest we give others permission to do so that to mm, me is I love the great it. gift of doing, I mean, it's back to doing our own work as, you know, and yes. how that um, transforms relationships with our kids, with our parents, with yes. our, you know, in our marriage. But it's like, oh God, yes. that starts with us. But I want to, I want to ask about another one of the um, reels that went, <laughs> of your reels that went um, viral. It was so compelling to me. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about the the shutting down versus calming down so do you mind just uh, explaining mm-hmm. what you know what that mm-hmm. what that our reel was about we'll put it in the show notes and um yes and just i mean you hit a nerve oh well that's because so many people have been shut down by their caregivers so when we are in an active feeling state so we're really sad or we're really scared or we're feeling shame whatever but our nervous system is filled with excitatory neurochemicals and we're crying and we're activated or we're shouting right or whatever it is or we're shouting yeah or if we're two or three we might be biting punching hitting kicking right like yeah whatever we're we're dysregulated we're dysregulated we need other people in our lives to co-regulate with us which is we need someone else who can catch what we're feeling but stay grounded i think of like you know, take a little sip of the feelings, just enough of our feelings that they feel empathy for us, that they understand what we're feeling, that they are receptive to our feeling state, but not take a whole gulp where they like go right under the water with us, right? So someone who can go like, you know, do the empathy face and go, I'm so sorry. You're so sad. This is so hard. You know, I'm, this is, you know, I don't know. I I lost my son's computer this week somehow. I don't know what I did with it. He like handed it to me one day on a play date and I was I was like cleaning the house and I have this memory of like sliding it into a shelf and I cannot for the life of me find it. So we spent this whole two hours the other night and he had, oh he really wanted to get on and play a game with his friends and it was distressing to him, right? Mm-hmm. And we're looking and we're trying to figure it out and he needed me to help co-regulate with him and go, this is hard. Loss is hard. Yeah. Um, it feels awful when something we've had is all of a sudden gone. And I'm also in my head prepping him for what it will feel like to process loss of people in his world potentially someday. I want him to be able to have the language to articulate this is hard. I want them here. Um, so I'm going through that thing. And as we're doing that, I'm helping his nervous system to sense it's going to be okay. We may not find this computer, but it's going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. He is calming because I am staying receptive empathetic and supportive so we're both mm-hmm. going from a heightened state because we tend to heighten when someone else heightens but we want to like heighten and come right. back down 
and then we're slowly bringing them down. When let's pretend that I instead was like, kid, that's enough. I don't want to hear another complaint from you. This is so entitled, blah, 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 blah. Like if I had gone into this kind of scary, defensive, whatever, man, he might have stopped expressing his inner distress. Or if I got scary enough, he might have disassociated, right? Mm -hmm. If someone's like, cut that shit out. Right, right, he might right. Really freeze, really... have a freeze response and stop crying mm -hmm. or stop saying the thing. That is a shutting down of our nervous system, not a calming down. So calm right. is a place of presence. It is a place of feeling. When we are calm, we are feeling things. Disassociation or shutting down is actually a really dangerous mental pattern for our kids to experience. It's it, it's replicated by addiction, actually. So that's how addiction mm -hmm. A lot of people mm -hmm. who have traumatic childhoods end up in addiction patterns because it makes sense to their brain. I'm feeling something, shut it off. I'm feeling something, make myself go away. Yeah, right? it's too uncomfortable. I've got to, I, mm -hmm. I have to, I have to escape, right? Mm -hmm. So we want our children to learn emotion tolerance and emotion tolerance happens when they are able to feel the feelings with a caring, present grown-up who's understanding them. And then when those feelings are coming up, they don't overreact or underreact. We don't want them to shut down. Of course, we don't want them to blow up, but they learn not to blow up by experiencing care and warmth from us. And this is different yeah, for kids who aren't that. neurotypical. I guess that yeah. was always a good plug. You yeah, know, it's a good. It's like, it's not going to be the same for every kid. And some kids are always going to struggle with blowing up because of the way their brain operates. That's not the fault of the parent. Yeah. Right? But even kids who are atypical in terms of their neurodevelopment, Warmth, 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 responsiveness, responsiveness, hold boundaries, have structure, but be responsive because we want them to learn to be able to feel their feelings, put language to their feelings and to engage in that reach and receive secure process. I, I, my oldest son was born in 2005. So this was before okay. anyone was talking about gentle parenting. People mm -hmm. were a little bit talking about attachment parenting. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was trying so hard to like maintain the calm and i told like he would be screaming in the grocery store and over you know whatever trick cereal whatever it is at two and a half yes. or three yes and i'd be like oh i'm gonna talk quietly because i really want you to talk quietly and everything mm -hmm. is fine and then i went randomly to see a happiest toddler on the block ah, harvey carp i love yes. him He's with amazing. Dr. Carp. I only went to see it because he was my friend's pediatrician, if you can believe that. She grew up oh, with him. So cool. And I was like, she's like, let's go see him. And it blew my mind and it changed my parenting forever because what I was doing was I thought I was modeling for him calming down. But what I was doing was invalidating his feelings. <laughs> so he was like, trick cereal. And I was like, oh, trick cereal's delicious. And instead, <laughs> what I learned to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and like if someone did that to you you'd yeah. be pissed you would lose you know yes. what I mean fucking mind yeah, yeah. so yep. I learned to go like oh my gosh you're so mad and I can yes. totally get it and like oh I know when I want something it's just like I'm so frustrated I totally hear you but honey tricks is not what we're gonna get today <laughs> you know and trying to go yes. from like show him oh this is the thing yes. and, and for people who don't know happiest toddler Dr. Carp says reflect back some certain percentage like 10% of what the child's feeling, try to reflect it back to them. If they're screaming, don't scream. But, yes. you know, if they're like this, yes. like that. And, and yes. oh, I know you're so mad. And I yes. totally get it. 
Yes, it, because then they can feel they're not alone. So yes. one of the things that I think is really interesting is that when we are little and we get filled with emotions, our brain doesn't know how to differentiate those emotions from an actual threat. So yes. I'm feeling deeply dysregulated that I don't get tricked cereal but what's actually happening in my nervous system is like as if there is like an animal on the prowl so when you as the parent say you're so mad you want this so badly you're helping their brain to go oh it's a feeling not a tiger like yeah my mom or my caregiver is seeing this and feeling this and receiving it so i'm not alone they understand mm -hmm. this like thing that i am that's coming at me from the inside of me which means I'm not going to die from it. It's so yeah. cool. Once you, yeah, once, yeah, once it, you yeah, clicks, no, it's, it's, so, it's such yeah, an amazing. It's so practical. And people, okay, so, 2005 was still an era of taking your kid kicking and screaming out of the store, which don't, I, don't put it past me. I'll do it if they're being destructive. Oh, I, I do but, that sometimes. Yeah, sometimes yeah, that's a, like, sometimes they're too I tired would, and too hungry and too yeah, something and that's the only solution. Today is and that's okay. not the grocery store day, right? Yes. So yeah, you, but like ultimately I would start doing that and this kid who's having a tantrum would be like, yeah, I just want the cereal. Like, mm -hmm. it uh -huh. was like that. So it's cool. amazing. I it's love a, it. how effective. Good job, it is. Mama. So what's the so what's the snowflake fallacy? Because we we saw a little. You got a little. You took mm -hmm. a little heat for some of your advice, and mm -hmm. I just I'd love for you to talk about, you know, that what it is kind of that that pushback. Okay, so the myth is if we respond to our children with tenderness and care, that they will lack the ability to handle the coldness or the resistance of the rest of the real world, okay? Sure. Um, I also think this is the real world fallacy um, because the idea is if I, if I don't teach you how it is now, they'll never learn. Um, but what that, there's a few big pieces of data that's missing. So one of them is that the child's brain develops in relationship to our care. So the more warm and receptive a child's caregiver is, the more their brain is going to prioritize growth in the prefrontal cortex, okay? The part of the brain that is um, responsible for empathy, for rational thinking, for regulation. So when we give our kids warmth and support, it gives them a brain advantage that then when they are in the real world and someone is being cold and harsh, they actually will be more regulated in response to it. So they will be able to handle it better because they have more thick gray matter in their brain. If we as caregivers are harsh on our kids in order to prepare them for the harshness, coldness of the world, it makes them feel unsafe, which their brain then allocates resources to the amygdala. Kids who grow up in abusive homes often have amygdalas that are twice the size in adulthood as kids who, do, who grow up in homes that are safe because their brain was like, this is a survival situation. No time for thinking. Fight, flight, freeze, spawn. Fight, flight, freeze, spawn. And so now they have a brain that's set up for reactivity so when we're we're not softening our kids up by giving them lots of warmth and care we're actually just insulating them right they aren't becoming well, a snowflake like yeah we're, it feels like we're insulating but it feels like we're actually empowering because when i think oh yeah. about uh, i mean when i think about um where the world is going there's so much uncertainty especially with ai and so forth for people That's for us to raise kids and for us as human beings to get comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty yes. rather than feeling freaked out by it, that to me feels like a freaking superpower, right? And it, it's the difference between toughness and resilience. So toughness is I'm gonna I'm gonna give you so much rough 
energy that you're going to develop a callus, which means you aren't going to be able to feel your feelings. And if somebody mm -hmm. pokes you, maybe it won't hurt as much. But if you get cracked open, there's no way for you to heal because there is no blood right. flow in dead callus tissue, right? And resilience is I'm going to help you learn how to feel your feelings. I'm going to help you learn that you belong so that when you go out into the world, you have the skills necessary to manage mm -hmm. complex situations. You have the nervous system necessary to manage that. And you have the instinct to find people who are also yeah. well-regulated and supportive. Whereas if you've been in this tough home, you find the tough people and they're like, yeah. you're people because they make sense to you. You know, you're yeah, around mm -hmm. the, the warm, fuzzy people and you're like, what is that? That's something. Well, I don't know totally. That. And it just, it, it feels so, this feels like, um, just almost bizarre to me that that um it's not so obvious to everybody and i you know, I know. Um, when i think when you talk about toughness i think immediately who came to mind was hillary clinton and if you remember uh. that video that was shown um when she was running for president and it showed you know when she was four and she went inside and her mom was like they're not gonna you know you're not gonna get bullied gonna go back and protect yourself and you have this woman you know and then she got pneumonia on the on the campaign trail and you know, just wouldn't take care of herself. And there's this toughness. And by the way, I, I think she's brilliant. I know she's a polarizing figure uh -huh. for many people. But but it's like she lacked that warmth that I think if she had yeah. that warmth, honestly, I think we the world would be very different. She had the toughness too. versus so what we couldn't you're describing. When I, we couldn't connect. Yeah, I, so I would, what I always felt with her was like, oh my gosh, your ideas and your expertise and all this like, yes, it's yes. And then she would bring herself into the conversation. I'd be like, I want so Ooh. badly to be connecting yeah. to you and I yes. can't feel you, right? Yes. And, and, well, and, and she I think, had that protect so that protectiveness yeah. ended up being a massive liability. But what I what I want to emphasize, yeah. and we, you know, we at your tango, we've been in the relationship business for the better part of twenty years. And when I Oof. think about people that um are raised with with resilience or even as adults, maybe they weren't raised with it. They develop it. They do the, you know, they grieve, like you say, they're wise to do the grief thing. And then they, you know, they they find that resilience. They, they cultivate that resilience. To me, to to do that is a superpower because that, you know, it's it like, is as human beings, that's how we we thrive, not as an I not as a, you know, island onto ourselves. We thrive in, you know, in connection with others. And it just it feels like we, in fact we had um Terry Reel on recently talking about the um, toxic individuality, right? And I feel yes. like in our, in our society, there's so much emphasis on me, 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 and, you know, I want to be the next Steve Jobs. And even that's a myth, right? Because Jobs is nowhere oh, without yeah. Wozniak, you know? And, right. and yet there's this persistent And a hundred other people. Mm -hmm. A hundred other people. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, get, I get so into this that I, when we're driving on the road with my kids, I'm like, I wonder how many people it took to pave this road. I wonder, yeah, how many, right. I wonder how many engineers were involved in making that light post. Like, I want to dispel this idea that any of us are moving around, you know, without great support. I always get bothered when uh -huh. authors and creators act like they've created ideas also. I'm like, no, you didn't. You did not invent yeah, it's kind of in the, the gentle parenting uh, no, movement. Totally. Like, come on now. We're, we we stand. And, and why would you want to? Right. Like, we stand in solidarity with with many, many researchers and scientists who've come before us to lay mm -hmm. the groundwork to help us know these things. Like, yeah, I want to be a part of something. I don't want to be yeah. this something. 
you know, yeah, like, because yeah. that is so much more sustainable and comfort, you know? Well, and you okay. feel it so much when you have like a really trusted friend or if you have a sibling yes. that you can really trust where, like, I, I remember um, I went to go get a tattoo because one of my friends passed away and I got this tattoo to memorialize her and my current best friend went with me and we had this one night in Vegas because that's where this amazing tattoo artist is. And we are... We call ourselves the Velmas because like in the Scooby-Doo world, <laughs> we're not Daphne's, okay? So we're like, Velmas take Vegas. We're going. We oh did not gosh, know what to I do with it. ourselves. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't gamble. But we get there and we're sitting across Go take from nap. each other. <laughs> yeah. I, dude, that's what we did. We literally went to the pool oh and my we God. like Love it. floated. I mean, what were we going to do? And we ate, we ate and ate and ate. So we're sitting across from each other and we're talking about growing up and- you know, having two different kinds of dads, a dad and a stepdad for me, a really stable one and a really wild one. She had a dad and a grandpa, a stable one and a wild one and how that's affected our relationships with men. And you're sitting there and you're having a meal and you go, my whole brain just opened up to a whole new experience. I understand myself better. She shared a part. I shared a part. It came together. Mm, We're not it. alone. I love this it. is a wild thing. It's a collaborative thing. And if I went and wrote a book about it, it wouldn't be my idea. It wouldn't be her idea. It would be this like Becky and Joanna take Vegas. Felmas take Vegas. Love Talk it. about your dad. Like all those things. I love it. When you feel that, it is magic. It is. It you is. You can well, tell that's, that's what I mean, we're wired think- for. Totally. And that's a thing that's hidden in plain sight. And, you know, Eli, I, I hope to do many more shows and hikes and all sorts of fun things with you. But we're, you know, yes. we're here at your tango. I, I feel like, yay. Uh, we just, we are so passionate. And obviously we're doing this show to really help elevate people's, um, uh, how they prioritize relationships. And, Connection. You know, putting putting mm-hmm. more time and attention onto each other. You know, we all know great relationships start with ourselves right and it just it becomes i feel like it can become the most virtuous cycle where where we are are so joyful we have so much to give or the or the ugly opposite where it just oh my god that hurt and heartache i just want to go away i don't want to get out of bed and you know and i feel like we all i always say we all have so much more power than we realize we got to do the work yes absolutely i love it yeah okay we should all be vulnerable yeah. Oh, sorry. Connectors unite. I was going to say connectors yes. unite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And and we do we do try to be vulnerable and like that's what Andrea and I and Brian talk about. It's like what when we're all talking here or in meetings or whatever, like mm-hmm. bring it. This is... It it opens up yeah. so much for other people. Amen. Yeah. To Amen. bring I that, love yeah, that. To bring that that openness and curiosity. Um. So. We've been talking for a while, so I have one last burning question. Something that we have been talking about internally a lot for the last handful of weeks is something called comparison culture. Feels like it's, uh, it's getting out there into the zeitgeist. We've done a lot of research. We know uh-huh. how um, comparison can be really great for competition. In, you know, it's like, oh my god, uh-huh. somebody broke the four minute mile. Now somebody else has broken the four minute mile. It can never be done. No, yeah, it can be done. But we also know there's a shadow side to comparison culture and how we can feel yes. inadequate and less than, you know, in particular mm-hmm. when I think about when we are raised in a non-secure attachment style. Yes. We're, we're, yep. I would think we're probably that much more prone um, yes. to, to compare in ways that are pretty, pretty negative. So do you see much, com- I mean, in your practice, 
Do you see <laughs> much in terms of comparison culture? Is that something <laughs> that um, that you feel like is a problem <laughs> in society? Yeah, I feel like we're in sort of a middle zone around it. Like I think 10 years ago, five years ago, it was rampant. Hi, buddy. <laughs> um, it was rampant. It was everywhere. It was, I think, um, Instagram, the followers were, everyone mm -hmm. was liking the perfectly curated hat swimsuit beach picture mm -hmm. um, and then berating themselves at home for not being that. Uh, right. I think there's been a bit of a turn. Um, I think COVID actually oh. helped that in a way. I think we all sort of entered our own COVID shit show and went, oh, uh -huh. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We're all not okay. Um, and I think there's a little bit of oh, a shift yeah. happening, but I think it is still a huge pervasive issue is that it's easy to get onto social media or even to be at a party with friends and to compare other people's front real information with your back page reality. Um, and I think one of the right. gifts of being a therapist exactly. That's a good is way to put I know it. everyone's back page reality. You know, I've worked with people who are in the Oval Office, not presidents, but I've worked with people who are in the Oval Office. I've worked with people who are, you know, top of their company. They're running all sorts of things. And they're wrestling with this feeling that they're not adequate or they're not enough. Um, our relationships well, are what help us sense our sense Everybody of worth. else has it figured out. Right. Everybody's yeah, nobody, you know, having got it figured out, achieving more success. But that's the myth. Right. And I feel like yes, that's, you yes. know, for all the good. I mean, and, you know, you're yeah. you are the shiny poster child in a sequin jumpsuit for what Instagram <laughs> Instagram can be positively for the world. Yes. And then but I, I feel like so. there is just so much of the of yeah. the ugly opposite that I, I want to call attention to it because when I think about yes. how many people end up suffering alone and in a way it's like the most obvious thing like we know not everybody's um, having the <laughs> most you know like okay that's a snapshot in time but yep. yet somehow I feel like but if our, we can't feel our... the other data you know you didn't highlight right. any of my videos where I talk about messing up but I do that on a regular basis because I because I really <laughs> I feel talk very about that protective next time we have you on the show right because <laughs> I don't because it is unhelpful to be learning about parenting from someone who thinks they know everything or who thinks they yeah. do it right all the time because nobody is living that reality. And that's what most parenting creators do. It's kind of like, here's here's the right thing to do. Here's how I do it. And so I try to couple that with also, nice. here's what I do when I flub. Here's what I do when I'm off. Mm -hmm. Here's what it looks like to really yeah. be authentic with your kids. You're going to get frustrated, cranky, crispy, whatever. How can you oh, handle that and repair it? I didn't realize it? that was a thing. That is me a lot. Okay, it's going to be crispy from now on. I love it. Crispy. And I also like but, to call sadness soggy. We get soggy and crispy in my house. It happens. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. No, but I we, love I mean, that we get all things. Honestly, We're human. Yeah. And that I do feel like, in fact, I'm going to go full circle because you were sweet um, at the beginning when I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, dumb, dumb and called myself out. And you called me on that. So thank you. Right. No and problem. that's, I mean, again, coming from kind of a, a, a you know, very tough on myself background with you know with with mm. a lot of that addiction and so forth oh my god I'm my I'm my own worst enemy and I had an experience mm -hmm. recently where I was chatting with a friend and I can't remember what it was somehow we were oh we were I think we actually may have been talking about comparison culture I don't even remember but I said something about how like oh god I feel like I'm just not not doing enough with my kids and she looks at me and she's like oh my god you are doing stuff with your kids all the time in fact my kids are with your yeah. kids and you're the one you know driving them and it's just it's, <laughs> it's you know it's what you were saying too earlier where it's so helpful to have those loving 
adult relationships yeah. that can remind us when we forget yes. or when we're being so judgmental yep. and hard on ourselves. Because I was like, oh my God, thank you. You know, and it's like, why am I so tough yes. on myself? So, so thank you for the, those yes. reminders. You're so and welcome. It, it is a good reminder that we need to remind each other too. It? it makes such yeah, a big baby. difference to have someone who's Very not meta. obligated to you the, the... say that totally totally and just and and invite each other to kindness kindness to ourselves kindness to our partners kindness to our parents kindness to our kids you know um to to step back and and connect to the humanity that is inside of everyone yeah and once you start doing that it's hard to stop amen yeah it is that is a i mean I, i do feel like that i mean back to the strength thing you know like some people think of kindness as um, weakness and to me it, it that's the, that it, that couldn't be more uh, inaccurate right I feel like you, you're coming on your own you know as a choice yeah I need to ask Eli a question really quick before we before we have to let her go um, I asked a question on Twitter and I feel like you might have a really good answer for this we'll see they're talking a lot about the about boys and men and I'm writing a book about boys so I think about this a lot they're talking a lot about boys and men being more lonely more depressed Mm -hmm. obviously we have horrible rates of suicide it's terrifying addiction Mm -hmm. death Mm -hmm. by accidental overdose all of it it's bad and I asked on Twitter are men lonelier than before or are men now able to identify that that's what they're feeling that's a great question i think it's more that um i think that we as i I, the general we um humanity as a whole in setting up structure around gender and saying men are leaders women are servers this is how this whole thing works um and this is what masculinity is and this is what femininity is um, we've always put men in emotional straitjackets when they were boys. And we have lots of research on this. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Real Boys by Dr. William Pollock from Harvard. That's yep. a great book. Um, but so we know that it isn't natural for boys to shut down what they feel. That there's a hazing that we do with boys that teaches them you don't cry. That's not what you do. Um, and by doing that, we prevent them from that reach. So now there's no way for them to reach. So they get stuck in that avoid and distract cycle and often in that numbing cycle of like looking for things in order to numb. And then that creates shame. Well, now I have shame because I'm using drugs. Now I have shame because I'm using porn. Now I have shame because I'm cheating on my wife because I don't know how to feel all of these big, scary feelings that happen in every marriage around trying to connect and trying to work through pain. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't think men are more not okay. I think Men are more aware that they're not okay. And I think we're more aware. I think in generations past, you know, a man takes his life. And I think that the, there was a protection around that story. And no, he, yeah. he, he got into an accident at the, at yep. the mill. Um, yep. And so we didn't know that it was happening. But I think it was still happening. And now there is more discussion. And I think a lot more hope. I mean, I look at my son. He is the most emotionally intelligent human being. He is so loving, thoughtful, articulate. He can he can tell me the nuance of, you know, different things he's feeling from jealousy to, you know, frustration with somebody. And I'm like, wow, what a different oh, world job, it will be as these boys become men. Thank you. And my husband. My husband is a big part of that. You know, he's modeling that. Oh, also. amazing. Thank goodness. 
it does seem like we're in that gap generation where I'm Generation X and those boys were taught to lock it down. And then totally. we're teaching our boys a different thing. And maybe yeah, that generation gap generation is gets this a little, one that's... Yeah, gets a chance to mm-hmm. do it differently. Yeah, that's certainly... Yeah. I feel like I'm with you, uh, Eli, with the sense of hope. I mean, it feels like there's a lot in the world right now, especially that's really, really challenging. And especially when I think about... Um, you know, what's happening in our country and a lot of other places where it's like, oh, shit, authoritarianism seems to be on the rise versus more of the yes. you know, sort of um, uh, self-actualization. Yes. And yet it feels like somehow underground, it, you know, especially this generation mm-hmm. alpha, it's like they're getting I, I do feel like they're mm-hmm. they're getting that wisdom that has been, hard, you know, like that we fought for. I mean, going back to the beginning of our conversation with regard to generational trauma, I know. I'm parenting mm-hmm. very, very differently than I was parented. Not perfect. I screw up all the time. I have to make repairs every single day. I'm in humility a lot. Yes. Um, but even that, I mean, it's like we were even talking about with, you know, with your mom and so forth. It's like, oh, good. Mm-hmm. Thank God. I mean, I know, um, Joanna, that's something you're passionate about, too. When we fuck up with our kids that we say we're sorry. Like, oh, what a good Amen. idea. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to wait for them to tell me I fucked up. It's like, let me just say, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, yeah, let's just uh, so sorry. Now. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then later mm-hmm. they can bring it no, up really... again and, and we could say, yeah. yeah, you're you're right. That's true. That makes sense that you're processing that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. No, it really it, it just it puts you in humility. And it's just to me, it's back to the superpower of rather than it making us weaker, having nothing to hide, having nothing to defend really makes us stronger. And absolutely and, and more open. Right. Then yep. that that yes. to me is the, you know, the great gift that um, that we get to cultivate. OK, Eli, you are amazing. Thank you Aww. so much for being on our show. I can't I wait to meet you, you in person to borrow your jumpsuit. Yeah. And, um, to and come to okay, Thanksgiving. so we're going to wrap up. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to show up like I'm going to be like hiding in the, the turkey pot. OK, securely <laughs> attached for anybody who is watching on uh, YouTube, if you're listening on iHeart or Wherever else you get your podcasts, um, this has been Eli Harwood. Her new book is securely attached. What's your Instagram again? Is it is attachment it nerd? All across okay. Instagram, yeah. Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, the whole nine yards. Attachment nerd. You got it. Any anywhere you uh, want to engage on on social, um, Eli Harwood, aka the attachment nerd, attachment nerd, is available and has so much to share. She's so entertaining and warm and wonderful as you have seen. So Eli, thank you so much. Come back. Thank you so much for having me. Eli, oh my God, she's so good. Oh my heart. So good. Gosh, uh, what a gift to get to know that woman. Just such a, uh, just such a source of wisdom and love and integrity oh yeah amazing i i am already i have to tell you guys i can't stop thinking about shut down versus calm down she that that just totally completely revolutionized the goal of what i want to teach my boys especially give them that skill to calm yeah that's the thing she was talking about in her (laughs) video too that she she was saying like um when when you yell at a kid to you know stop crying like they will stop crying that doesn't make them calm it makes them scared you know what i mean like it, it's the the almost like uh causality loop or whatever where you're kind of like oh see the way i parented was great the kids shut up and it's like that kid is walking around with so much trauma because of you versus yeah. like 
understanding with the kid and making the kid actually be calm versus being afraid to be not calm. Yeah. Yeah. Like giving a skill versus giving a future adaptation. (laughs) Totally, Joanna. You took the thought right out of my mind. I was going to say one, you teach you. I mean, either way you teach one is you're teaching how to be alone and um, subordinate. And then the other is you're teaching to be a wise, well-adjusted human that can manage their emotions. I mean, it does feel like one of the worst, I don't know, adaptations in our world is um, just how much um, emotional um, dysfunction there is and dysregulation there is. So I, as a parent, man, I just, I try so hard to to do it right. Um, so I love that as a, as a uh, framework. Well, also, so then watch what you name your kids because the, oh. um, I remember Don't like I was cracking failure? up with, with the whole failure. Yeah. Because I was thinking it's called, um, nominative determinism. And it's the idea that what you're named, you can like manifest essentially. And so they've done tests with that where they've named, you know, a kid loser or whatever. And the kid ends up like, like internalizing being a loser or whatever. And um the joke that everyone has uh on the internet right now is uh you know tom hanks obviously uh he has two sons one of them is colin hanks who's a nice well to put together guy and the other one is chet hanks and the other one acts more like a chet than anyone i've ever seen he's like the like literal like chad meme like where he's like jacked and tatted up and talking about how women are stupid like he's literally like this total loser chad i know it's like poor chet he's a mess yeah He's, but he he plays into that, Andrea. Don't feel bad. Andrea hasn't seen Chet oh, okay. Hanks. The oh, brand no, he's that, a that created, yeah. Yeah. he created a brand for himself. Well, it sounds like but, he's like yeah, a little uh, rebellion against Papa, right? It's like okay, yes, if Daddy I, yeah. is that, the the good guy. Then I am going to identify and define myself in opposition to that. It's super. Yeah, tough. maybe yeah, he like, didn't tell him he was proud. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's true, though. If you think about like how you could be the best parent in the entire world. Right. And then they always say that then they end up in therapy because they're upset they had the best parent in the whole world. You know that there's always going to be something. Maybe that's what happens when you're raised by like the nicest guy in Hollywood is you have to distinguish mm-hmm. yourself by being not nice and very publicly. Gotta be a bad boy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's yeah. actually hilarious. OK, so let's do uh, quick actionable takeaways. Uh who, uh, what was your favorite? Um, did you have a, a favorite thing that you want to go home and adopt right away, Joanna? I definitely cannot stop thinking about reach and reject because I definitely know I, I have that insecure attachment. And I definitely reach, reach, reach. And when she said that about like, oh, now you're giving it to me and it's not good enough. I was like, called out, totally <laughs> called out. That's me. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that I am like, I'm going to like put it on a piece of paper in front of my desk so that I remember I need to stop doing the reject part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. I, I think you're, I'm glad you called that out because that whole business of, oh, this I asked and it's not quite enough. And now I'm going to, you know, judge it and reject it. Like, oh man, <laughs> you know, talk about self-sabotage and and then like other sabotage. So that's good. That's good. What about you, Brian? Did you have a favorite takeaway? Well, yeah, the um, the idea about um, the the saying you're proud and like and genuinely like meaning it, um, especially because like 
so I was one of the people that like, um, you know, big Italian family and stuff like that. So there's a lot of like, you know, people looking in a lot of different directions. And when you're okay. somebody who like has their shit together, you get like overlooked like crazy. And so I had uh-huh. that issue where it was like, everyone kind of forgot about me. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, right, Brian's right. doing fine. And and so there right, was that right. whole thing where it was like, and when you guys were talking about it, I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling so called out right now. Because oh, like, because um, it was even those things where it's like, like the big achievements of my life, right? Like they're like, I want an Emmy, you know, or whatever. It's like, yeah, like I'm sitting there like looking for validation from my thing. Like, look, yeah. I did it. I did the thing. Like, like say something to me now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, they probably have been proud of me this whole friggin' time. It's just that like, they didn't think I needed that kind of validation. But then as an adult, right. I was like, I need that validation. Damn it. Yeah. And then Andrea saying, kind of we need to ask oh. for it. Yes. Well, yeah. sometimes or right. I mean, I found myself in that same mode. I mean, I'm an overachiever. Right. And and yeah, it's great. But I, you know, I've I've also had to question my own motives at time. Right. And then I say to myself, like, oh, I'm going to like pull the big freaking ninja move and and really sit with this and say, you know what, I'm doing this for myself. From the, you know, the whole idea of being from the inside out versus from the outside in, right? And I feel like I can hold those two in tension without it being a contradiction, right? And I, I do think the wisdom of asking for what we need is right on. But I also, for myself, I can say with a straight face, I have been able to cross that bridge and say, you know what, Andrea, this is this is a power move. This is your path to freedom. Don't sit around waiting. Um, it's okay. You don't... you. You know, you know what I mean? Like, and does that sound like I'm rationalizing? Because I don't mean to sound like I'm rationalizing. Yeah, there's a <laughs> tricky balance to that because I that not- was always my storyline is it's like, oh, you can't regret what happened in your past because you wouldn't be who you were if you didn't have whatever it is. But on top of that, you have to balance that with, but how do we not keep repeating that pattern or keep repeating that adaptation and telling myself I don't need it only doesn't work because I definitely still need it right if I can yeah. get to where I genuinely don't need it that's that's where we're really that's the with power gas, move but... yeah I mean one is one is dehumanizing yeah. one is telling ourselves bullshit and then the other is saying oh my gosh I'm sincerely I'm okay with this like and that you know yeah. and I, I feel like it you know there's an integrity in you know and being honest where you are and I feel like for me it's you know sounds like for you too having that awareness and that sincere curiosity versus just saying, all right, I'm going, I'm going to decree it. It's like, well, you can't, you can't decree it with integrity. Either you, either you, you feel it and you're at, and you're sincerely at peace, or if you're not, all right, then you gotta, then you gotta face it. However, you you know, however you do it. Yeah. You can't uh, pretend to be at peace. It just doesn't work. You are either at peace or you're not at peace and that like, look how peaceful I am. I'm completely and totally right. calm over here. I've got it all together. Yeah. 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 This concludes our meeting of overachievers anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So funny. Uh, guilty. Um, mine was it just very much a continuation of this discussion. What she used is the word invitation, right? When we, we feel like we need to address these things that were hard in, um, whether it was a parent, I mean, I, when I think about my life and the people that I've coached, whether it's a parent, a friend, a child, a, a, you know, a spouse, 
the idea of showing up and inviting them um, to learn, you know, and to hear, hey, here's where I'm coming from and coming from that um, with that energy of wanting to repair versus blame or judge and then kick that person into yeah. a, a, a very defensive, uh, you know, really unpleasant, like you're never going to get what you want. If that's, yeah. if that's the energy. And I just, I love the wisdom of her saying, you know, m make it inviting, and, you know, and even if it's a, a tough conversation and I, you know, I've said it a million times, oh my gosh, those are the conversations we need to have. I, I'm an advocate for more tough conversations, but to be skillful in how we broach them to me is the, the game changer in terms of does this hard conversation result in healing and understanding or does it result in um you know rejection and heartache i mean a little like what you were saying <laughs> uh, uh reach and reject oops you didn't do it quite right i'm gonna you know come yeah slap your hand but that to me is that you know that invitation that wise invitation and then being ready for what you know to me having made the mistake you know it's like oh i'm going to be attached to how they're going to respond not 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 yes not. Right. Versus saying I need to be prepared for them to have a very different perspective. I need to be prepared for them to be defensive. And and, it, and if I'm not prepared, then let me not do it, because otherwise it's just going to yes. end up, you know, worse, maybe even. Yeah. And I think we often when we don't create the invitation soon enough, like if there's awareness, this is what I need or this is what I didn't get or this is what hurt me. And we don't kind of initiate a conversation soon enough, then it ends up coming out when we blow up. So it's like you're yep. thinking in your head, you never said you were proud of me. You never said you were proud of me. You never said you were proud of me. Mm -hmm. You keep it to yourself, hoping it'll pass. And then something else happens. They break the dishwasher or something like that. And then it's like, also, you never said you were proud of me and it ruined my exactly. whole life. Exactly. Oh my God. I know we're such, we're such silly beings, but it's true. I mean, so yeah. yeah so it's back to like the either you're really at peace or, or if you're not, well, then, you know, then it's incumbent upon each of us to, to do something about it. Because, you know, I, I do feel like, um, gosh, how it impacts our bodies in terms of illness and, you know, how stress manifests itself. And let's face it, there's hardly a worse stress than being in, um, you know, in conflict with somebody we care about and how that real can play in our freaking heads again and again and again. And that is no blames. Yep. All right, folks, this wraps up another amazing episode of Open Relationships Transforming Together. Thanks so much for tuning in. You know where to find us, but just to remind you, um, we are available on, um, you can email us rather at openrelationships at yourtango.com. We would love for you to follow us wherever you get your podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe on youtube and gosh if you have comments if you have questions we love 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 um viewer and listener input so please um you know please engage <laughs> <laughs>